at the first 12 verses and uh, looking on here to the conduct of discipleship and um, you know just as we've been going through and studying over the book of uh, what much of the gospels has to do with um, discipleship and much more even beyond that but uh, particularly here we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount and much of this has to do with uh, discipleship believe it or not so uh, Matthew chapter 7, the first 12 verses, it's uh, really eye-opening because we want to deal with one of these most controversial uh, verses, the very first verse of Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged, and uh, so we're going to be looking at that uh, this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. In fact, we learned previously over Matthew chapter 6, when you look at the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, He says, you know, forgive others. Um, you know, if you don't forgive others, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. And this is uh, the, the parallel that we have here. But verse 3 says, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But consider not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how will I say to the bro- thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eyes, this great big beam, it's sort of like barn wood, you know, the great big pillars stuck in the eye you can't see, is the picture that's there. And uh, verse 5, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam that out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mode out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask it, it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man of uh, uh, what man is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Notice the the first word there in verse 12, therefore. And oftentimes we think that uh, the the verses previously has nothing more to do other than prayer. It has to do with prayer, but it's much more than prayer. The word in verse 12 is therefore, and we have the golden rule, right? And what does it say? Therefore, all things, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And so... With that, let us pray as we get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray and ask your help. And Lord, I know that there are a lot of cares and things that I believe that we are carrying, but let us put all that aside that we might concentrate on your Word and be encouraged and pray that we'll come out of here better people. And uh, whatever the needs that are here represented, Lord, I do pray that you'll just um, minister to each and every one according to your will. Uh, Lord, I know I didn't take time for that this morning, but... According to your will, I pray that you would just answer these prayers for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There was an old Chinese, I guess, story, myth, legend, I don't know. Seems down to earth where we're living today. But anyway, there was this Chinese girl, and she went and she got married to this Chinese guy. And uh, I don't know how the marriage was arranged, but anyhow, she went off to live with her husband. But when she went to live with her husband... Her mother-in-law was there, and you know how that goes sometimes. 
And uh, she, as soon as she got there, she wanted to build this relationship with her mother-in-law, but she found out that she couldn't please her to save her life. Everything that she did, she did wrong. And she's like, I'm trying, she's pleading with her husband, I'm trying to do the best I can, and you know your mother, how she is, and I know I try to cook, and I try to clean, my, my cleaning is not good enough, my cooking's not good enough, the way I do my hair is not good enough, everything doesn't seem to be good enough, and her situation just wasn't good, and it seemed like there was nothing more than bicker, bickering, arguing, complaining every single day, and the husband was just all tore apart over this. And all this anger and unhappiness was causing the household to be in great distress. And finally, Lily, the girl that got married, finally, Lily, she couldn't stand her mother-in-law's bad temper anymore. And her dictatorship constantly telling her how she ought to behave and how even in that culture in that day, she had to really bow down to the wishes because she's the, she's the matriarch kind of deal. She couldn't stand it anymore, so she decided to go to her father's good friend, Mr. Huang. And she says, I know, I know you got a solution. She says, this is what I've been dealing with on a day-to-day basis, and it's just too much. Now tell me, you got any poison here in this shop? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Huang, he got to thinking about the solution here for just a minute. He says, I got just a thing for you. Went back, and he came back with a bunch of herbs and things. That he says, now you got to listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. You know, you know, if you poison her right away, what's going to happen? You want to cause all kinds of suspicion. They're going to come looking and they're going to do all these investigations and it's not going to look good and you probably want to wind up behind bars. Listen to what I'm saying to you. You got to deal, de- delve this out in portions slowly uh, over the course of time. He says, I want you to cook the best pork and the best chicken and mix in these herbs in every single meal, uh, every single day in, in, in the right proportions. And I want you, I want you on top of that. I want you to act nice towards your mother-in-law. I know, I know things are bad for you right now, but I want you to act really nice toward her. And I know if she ruffles your feathers, don't, don't give in to that, but just treat her, treat her really nice. So she did. She went through this plan and began to serve these herbs and this meal to her. And she tried not to argue even when she says that, you know, this house is dirty. She tried to try to be nice about it. And she was happy. She found herself much happier than what she was before. And things began to change in that household. She found out that her mother-in-law was no longer complaining about her. She was going around telling everybody what a great daughter-in-law she had and, and how great things were and how beautiful the house was. And, and it just really changed the whole atmosphere, so much so that uh, she went back to Mr. Huang. She says, I don't, I'm, I'm just made the biggest mistake in all the world. She says, I should have never asked you for that poison, and we need to know how to reverse this, and I don't want to poison my mother-in-law anymore. I I want her to be healthy, and I want her to be happy, and I'm just afraid that she's declining, and I'm afraid that it's too late, and how do we reverse this whole thing? And he said, relax, sweetheart. What I gave you wasn't poison. He said, the poison was in your mind all along. She says, what I taught you was how to be nice, and it was your change of mind and change of behavior that began to fix the, the, the I didn't give her poison. And I thank God that, uh, thank God that that poison in your mind has went away, and she was able to have a better house a- after that, and it just changed everything. And it was this love that came into the house that changed everything. Our conduct gets us into a lot of trouble, at least it can be. 
And I believe that this is really emphasizes a lesson as we move right into the Sermon on the Mount here. A lot of our conduct, we, we can get into the habit of trying to judge others, and Jesus wants to put it into that. He says, if we, you want to be my disciples, I don't want you to go out there and criticizing just everybody and what they're doing, their thoughts and their manner of lifestyle. I don't want you to impose your convictions upon them. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. And so he, he really uh, tries to bring his disciples in to a better way of living, uh, not to be like um, the Pharisees whatsoever. And then there's this other idea, not only of, of this judgmentalism, if you would say it, being judgy, okay? He said, I don't want you to be judgy, but on the other end of it, you also, you also must judge. And he's going to really help them to strike this balance as we come down through this, this section of Scripture that is here. And... Um, we, we, we must understand this. Now, everything is under the watch care of our Heavenly Father. And, of course, uh, as we see here in the middle of this section that I've read through, uh, again, he points them back to the Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father is found throughout all of the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's constant. The focus is on him and our relationship to the Heavenly Father. But also it's pointing to how he, we're under his watch care, and he's pointing out how everything is moving toward a, a certain end, Okay. And so when we look down toward and we find that, uh, you know, they're talking about the false prophets, of course we're we're to be able to discern what a false prophet is and who is. We can't run around with our heads in the sand and say, well, we're we're not to judge. No, he tells you, you need to know how to judge them by their fruits. He talks about this false discipleship, those who go out and they do all these good works that looks good on the outside, but yet, he said, they're not really disciples. Talks about uh, you know, those who are to go to heaven. He says, those who do the will of the Father, those are going to be the ones who, who enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not going to be the ones who say, Lord, Lord, look at all the great things that I've done for you and look at everything that I've accomplished and isn't it so great and we've, we've cast out devils in your names and, 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 and we've done all these things. And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And so everything is moving toward this end and then it will end finally with the words of of Jesus, he says, he that hears, hear and does the, the word of God, the will of God, you want to be like a wise man that builds his house upon a rock. And he says, that's the kind of person we need to be. And so it's all moving toward an end. But in, in, in preparation to this, as we move in this world, we need to have judgment. We got to have discernment. We got to be able to, to, to know uh, how to treat others. And, and it can't be what we see in the world in which we live is everybody, especially during the political seasons, is always uh, look at this person's record. Look at how awful they are. Look at look at who their who their children are. Look at who their wife is. And look at this and look at that. And look at I mean, it's always nitpicking, and that's why I hate the political se- season because it's always tearing about down the, the other guy, and it's never about the policies and everything else. What it truly ought to be about. But uh, we're not to have this judgmental attitude, and, but we also ought to judge and find this, again, strike this balance. Being a disciple is serious business, and Jesus is addressing them like Christians need to be addressed today. There are important principles from the Scriptures. He's dealing with a subject that requires great sensitivity. I mean, this is one of the most sensitive subjects there are. He's dealing with a subject that requires sensitivity uh, and ju- discernment because on one hand, the Lord's going to say, don't be judgmental, don't be judgy. But on the other end, he's going to tell us, you need to exercise judgment. You've got to judge. 
and we're scratching our heads, okay, which one is it, Lord? Which one do you want me to do? I mean, should I judge? Should I not judge? What, what is the requirements for judgment? How should I, uh, what should I believe about this? What should I not believe about that? And, and all this is sort of like in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 26, you probably read through there several times, and you scratch your head, and where the Bible says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like unto him. And of course, there's a certain way which we, we, we don't want to be like the person who's all in their foolishness and they're acting a fool and all this kind of thing. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be also like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. We're like, Solomon, what are you talking about? You tell me, answer not a fool, and then you tell me, answer the fool? Well, he's saying, don't, don't be like him, but also, at the same time, you know, don't let him keep believing his own foolishness. Uh, you you got to walk wisely. Paul would say this, walk circumspectly in this world, knowing that the days are evil. And there's this level of wisdom that we ought to have this morning. We want to strike that balance between being judgmental and... Uh, at the same time, not being judgmental, but at the same time, judging appropriately. And so let us see this, this first of all, not being condemning is what he wants his disciples to, to be. Not condemning. Not condemning. That's the trap that many of us fall into, this judge not trap, right? You can't judge me. You, you know what the Word of God says? It says, judge not that you be not judged. You can't judge me. We're like, okay. Well, what am I not to judge about you? Because we recognize in the Bible, where the Bible tells us over 1 John chapter 4, where it says, cry every spirit, whether it be of God, because John knows that there are many antichrists going in, into the world. He knows that there's false prophets everywhere. I mean, they're, they're abounding left and right. Everywhere you turn, there's a false prophet. And John is telling us, he says, test the spirits. Okay, if we're not supposed to judge, are we supposed to turn a blind eye to these false prophets and these false teachers and leading people astray, these blind guides leading the blind? Are we supposed to let that continue on happening? No, that's, that would be contrary to the Scriptures. Are we supposed to not believe what Paul says where he says prove, prove, prove all things? Whether it's good, or whether it lines up with the Scriptures, are we supposed to neglect that Scripture? No, that's not what he's saying at all. Because even Jesus himself tells us, not only in verse 6, but also in verse 16, he says, you should know them by their fruits. And so, in other words, there's got to be a level of discernment that's within there where we got to understand, hey, this person is teaching heresy. This person is teaching divisive doctrine. This person is teaching uh, Jehovah's Witness theology. This person's teaching uh, Mormon theology. This person is teaching that kind of theology. And it doesn't line up with the Word of God. So, what are we supposed to believe? Doesn't Paul say over in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And here it is. He says, avoid them. And I know there's a lot of people that, you know, and I've watched Billy Graham. And a lot of people criticize Billy Graham one way or the other. You mentioned Billy Graham. You, you want to hit it both ways, all right? You cannot win uh, on the subject of Billy Graham. He was a good preacher. But he stood with people that had offenses. They were teaching things contrary to the Scriptures. And things which the Bible says you ought not to do. And it began to change his way of thinking as well. Later on, his preaching that he preached back in the 1940s and 50s is not the same preaching you found in the 1990s. It was different. 
And again, you get people get upset over that. But, you know, it, it doesn't matter. We're not to go alone to get along. We're not going to say, okay, you know, just it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Well, our Lord thought it was worth it. We can't go along to get along. Feelings do, do not determine what is right doctrine does. And I'm not saying that everyone who disagrees with me is not saved. And there's, there's the issue. I know that there are some people that believe something different to me, and I know that they are saved, but I can't stand where they're standing uh, on certain, certain subjects. Now, you know, if they don't believe that Jesus is God, then, then I don't believe that they're saved. But anyway... Not, not everybody that disagrees with me is just because they disagree with me doesn't mean that they're not saved. But there's a point in which we got to say that I can no longer stand with them and we're going a separate direction and I don't believe what they believe and they can go their way, sort of like Lot and Abraham. Lot went his way, Abraham went his way because of the contentions that were there. But the issue must not be, you know, what, what does my brother want? I don't want to hurt his feelings, and I don't want to offend him, and I don't want to uh, make him think bad about me, and I'm going to go his way because I, I don't want to cause these offenses. Well, if you go that way, then you're offending the Lord. And you've got to choose whether you're going to stand with man or you want to stand with God. Paul says this, he says, uh, you know, I, I'm not here to be a servant unto men. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm not preaching what I'm preaching in order to please men. I'm here to glorify God. I know what Jesus, again, Jesus says in 715, Beware of false prophets which come to you, and here it is, in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they are ravening wolves. What does that mean? It means they look the part. I mean, their wool looks nice, looks white, but inside they're not, they're not a sheep. They're a wolf. And they're not there for your good. They're there to devour you. Paul says, I know that after my departure, I shall come in among you grievous wolves, not sparing the flock. Where do wolves like to be? They're not going to stay away from the sheep. Wolves like to be with the sheep. Why? Because they're after the sheep. I believe that, uh, I don't believe that we fall prey to something like Second John, where John tells uh, the woman that is there, honorable woman, she was letting people into the house, which ought not to be. John tells her, he says this, If they're coming any unto you, bring not this doctrine. What doctrine? The gospel. The word of God. If any come in and they bring not this doctrine, receive them not into your house, neither bid them God's speed. For he that biddeth them God's speed is a, what, a partaker of his evil deeds. And he says, you don't, you don't want to help somebody that is going around and spreading false, false things about the Messiah and false things, you know, teaching you that you got to live underneath of the law so that underneath of the law that you can get to heaven. Because that's the far the same for the truth. You, you don't want to help them that are trying to deceive people and trying to uh, cause them to, to, to take advantage of the flock. Take advantage of those that are in your house and are hearing the word of God because they had house churches back in that day. And I believe that she probably had a house church and she had people there who were earnestly Christians, and, but yet they were allowing these people into the house and they were turning people aside. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that there are some, I know that there are some that are obvious. I don't believe there's probably any of you that allow a Jehovah's Witness to turn you aside and pull you astray. But can I tell you this? There are some people that come into the church, they look good. You ask them about grace, they might have the right answer. 
You find out later on after they split the church that they were Calvinists and, and they, they, they taught a different form of doctrine as you taught and it was too late because you allowed it to go on. That's why we have a doctrinal statement. That's where we stand for what we believe. And so it's important because time and time again, this has happened many times. It's not just uh, one occasion. It's happened many times where churches have been split over uh, allowing false doctrine into the pulpit. There are times where you need to use discretion to test the spirits and see whether they are of God, to prove that which is good. But what Jesus is getting at is that he wants his disciples not to embrace the pharisaical attitude of holier than thou. The kind of guy that would go down and he says, you know what, brother, your hair is too long. You let your hair keep going like that, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be lining up with the devil. Uh, how dare you allow your hair to get that long? But I mean, he cuts them down. He goes and he looks at the shoes of the guys coming in through the door. He says, man, your shoes are not shined. What are you doing in here? You can't come in here like that. Don't you know the law of God? You gotta, I mean, you got to look the part. You got to be on the outside. You got to look good. He's really straining at things that he could point out and just finger point and get down into it. Uh, you showed up to church two minutes late. How dare you, you hypocrite? And that's the kind of attitude that the Pharisees had. Again, Jesus is warning the disciples, don't be like that. Don't, don't say to somebody, you know, your, your hair is, is, is awfully, awfully, awfully long. And you're like, your hair is only a fraction shorter. What are you talking about? They're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. They, they are going around and they're looking for that speck of dust that is in your eye. They're, they're, they're examining very carefully. They're getting up close and they're getting up personal and they're getting into your business. They want to know what's going on in your home and they want to know what's going on in the workplace and they want to know what's going on in every aspect of your life so they can pick something out and say, you know, I'm better than you, holier than thou. You didn't show up at soul winning, you hypocrite. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't read your Bible through in a month. Guess what? I haven't either. You didn't pray for three hours. Jesus said, please don't have that attitude. Please don't have that attitude. There is an aspect where you are to have this love in your heart for your fellow brothers. You can go around and tear people down all day long. If, if you're looking for faults, you can fall, find fault in just about anybody. Just about anybody. The only one that you can't find fault in is when you look through the Bible and you look at the life of Daniel. You're like, I know he did something wrong, but the Bible doesn't say it. But you know he did something wrong because everybody is saved by the grace of God. Everybody has failure. Everybody has faults. Everybody makes mistakes from time to time. Everybody's children is not perfect. Everybody's uh, relationship with the marriage is not perfect. Everybody's relationship with God is not even perfect. Look at Job. We've known people like that, and especially for young Christians, that can be a hard mistake. I've made that mistake. I got saved. Began to read through my Bible. Three months later, I, the guy that led me to the Lord. This is awful. I hate to even admit this. The guy that led me to the Lord. He, he was a man who was known just 
chain smoking from time to time. And it bothered me. I'm like, brother, don't you know your body is the temple of God? I said, brother, you keep on chain smoking like that. You keep on smoking like that. I'm not, I'm not going to, we're done. Went a week. Went two weeks. Went three, he approached me. He says, brother, what are you doing? How come when I come into the church, you're not talking to me? How come when, when uh, there's a Bible study going on, you don't want to talk to me? Well, I said, you, you know what you're doing. That stuff ought not to continue. He says, listen to me. He says, look at everybody else. I only had three or four friends at the time. <laughs> he was one of them, so that was minus one. He says, look at those other guys you're hanging around. I, noticed, I, I looked at some of the things he pointed out. I'm like, you know what? He's right. I said, you, you, I went to the other guy. I said, I can't hang around you. You acting like that. I mean, look, don't you know what the Bible says? I lost another friend. I learned that I couldn't trust the men because I was a young Christian. I thought that these guys were the example. I'm, I'm trying to live up to them, and I'm like, I want to be where you're at. And all of a sudden, I found out that none of them were perfect. That's why you can't trust the men. They're all going to fail you. They're all going to disappoint you. And they're all going to just, they're, they're men. They're all growing in the grace of God. Every one of them is in a different spiritual level. And we're not all at the same place. I mean, they might be struggling in one area, but guess what? You're struggling in the other area. And we got to understand this. And I learned, again, I learned very hard, that very hard lesson. We're not to tear people down. You know what, what the Bible tells us? To build them up, to encourage them. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Restore the person just been overtaken with a fault. You which are spiritual. I wasn't spiritual at that point in time. <laughs> three, th save three months. I, I thought I had all the answers. You, I would look back at that, where I was then, I would laugh. I would laugh at myself in the face. I can't believe, I, that's shameful. But you know what? I was trying to serve the Lord. I was trying to do right. I did what I thought was right. But somebody had to help me. We'll never have a good church unless we try to build people up. We're trying to edify them, encourage them, and show them, uh, the, you know, what is right and what's wrong. And if they if they disappoint you and they make mistakes, it's going to happen. But we got to be there to help lift them up and encourage them and show them the gospel and live it out. Um, my criticism not only frustrated me, but it frustrated everybody else. Nobody was happy, but if we show love and, and, and we're not judgmental, then we can build one another up. Galatians 5.3, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But here it is, by love, serve one another. Hebrews chapter 10, oftentimes as preachers we use this when it comes to uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, but I want you to look at a different aspect of this. It says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. What are we to do? Say, hey, brother, let me help you out. Let me encourage you. Uh, I was where you were at, brother. I made the same mistakes, and, and we can get through this. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and he's going to help you through this too. Let me provoke you unto love and good works and show you how to how, show you how you get your feet on solid ground and show you how to get to walk in the right direction, to show you how to live out this sanctification. Let us provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Where does this happen? By, by assembling together, by encouraging one another, uh, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're getting close to that day, aren't we? Uh, just 
it's amazing to me how close we are to the second coming of Christ. If Paul thought that it was going to happen any moment, hey, listen, 2,000 years or more, uh, he, is, he is that much closer. And they could come tomorrow. If you go around, again, if you go around looking for fault, you'll find it. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man be overtaken to the fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of, here is meekness, considering yourself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to bear one another's burdens, to encourage them and to help them. We're not to be uh, condemning one another, but we're also not to be careless in another sense. Don't be careless. And we find here in verse 6, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither catch ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Now, can I tell you, many, many years, that verse has always puzzled me. Now, I really didn't understand the context of it because it just, I mean, it really bothered me. I mean, we have pets and we have dogs and dogs are nice. They're man's best friend. We think about the corgis. We think about the Springer Spaniels. We think about Lassie. You know, everybody loves Lassie. He's a, he's a border collie. And I mean, he was a great dog. And I'm like, everybody loves Lassie. But that's not the kind of dogs they're talking about here. They're talking about these mangy uh, dogs, like a jack or a hyena or something. That's more of the imagery that we should have in our minds. They, they're, they're scavengers. They're just looking for something to tear into. That's the kind of dogs that they're talking about. And the imagery here is somebody that's serving in a temple, maybe a priest or somebody, and uh, the worshipers come in into the temple and they wanted to sacrifice that day. They offered their sacrifice. Part of the sacrifice goes to the priest. Part of it went to the worshiper. And here's the deal. He says, you're not going to take something that is sanctified, something that is holy, something that has been offered to the Lord, and you want to throw that to the dogs like it's a piece of steak? You're not going to do that. You're not going to, you're not going to take that which is holy and throw it unto the dogs, are you? At least you shouldn't. Then he uses another imagery, of course, pigs. Pigs are like the worst things in the minds of a Jew. You just, uh, there was nobody back in that day. I don't know where the prodigal son went to, but it certainly wasn't in Jerusalem, and it probably wasn't anywhere uh, where, where uh, his, of course, it wasn't on his father's farm, by the way. Uh, he had to go looking for that place in that far country. And he found where the pigs were. They weren't in Jerusalem. They weren't in Israel. But in the far country, I mean, it was the farthest thing from the Jews' mind. And it would have astonished him. He says, you're not going to throw your pearls. Something that is costly. He moves from something that is holy to something that is costly. You're not going to take a bunch of pearls. Something that is rare. Something that is valuable. And take those pearls and just say, uh, here you go, pigs. Here you go. <laughs> and they bite into them. And because they're so hard... Uh, the, the pig doesn't like that. And instead of eating the pearls, they come and they, they, they trample that person down and they begin to bite and devour. The, the imagery here is a, a boar with a big, huge tusk. It's not the pot belly pig, not one of these small little things. Everybody says, oh, that's so cute. Now, these, are, these are horrible animals that Jesus is talking about. He says, don't be, don't be careless with things that are holy and things that are valuable. Of course, we think about uh, the, the gospel. That is holy. That is valuable. We've got to have discernment over in Matthew chapter 13. And the Bible says this. Let me turn over there. I'm running out of time. Let's see. Matthew chapter 13. 
verse 10. There's chapter 12. Chapter 13, here it is. Chapter 13, verse 10, it says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou in parables? This is the Lord. I mean, he's, he's trying to give them the parable of the, uh, the sower and how the seed went on different grounds and producing different kinds of fruit. He said unto, his disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever had, to him it shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever had not, from him shall be taken away, even that he had. Now again, he's alluding to the seed that is being sown. Where did I go? He should be taken away, even that he had. Therefore speak I unto them in parables, because they see, uh, seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. Uh, for this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes are have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes which see, and your ears which they hear. Uh, Paul would use that in the end of the book of Acts, when Paul is trying to give the Jews the gospel, and He's laying it out to them in plain sense. I mean, he really gives them the full history and the full gospel, and they refuse to hear. This is what he's pointing out. He says, it's right before them, but they're refusing to see and refusing to hear. I'm speaking to them in parables because, look at them. They're not really trying to receive it. They're not really trying to believe it. And they're just looking for something to attack us on. They're trying to rend that which is holy. Now, when the Lord deals with other people like Thomas, Think back over in John chapter 20. Does he deal with them in that kind of way? No, he's very tender with them. Thomas, reach hither your hand. Touch my side. See my hands and feet. Give me some of that mead. You see I'm not a spirit. Well, man, the God man, I've risen from the dead. I'm not some ghost. He was very tender with Thomas. He was very tender with Peter. John chapter 21, he wasn't out there saying, uh, Peter, how dare you? No, he was saying, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Follow me, Peter. Very tender, very compassionate, but when he deals with other people like Herod, uh, when when uh, Jesus was going through his trials and Herod wanted to see all these miracles and all these fancy things and they have Jesus ushered into his presence. All right, show me one of your miracles. I want to see something fantastic. I mean, he brings out all of his entourage. They're looking for the miraculous and Jesus doesn't do anything. And he's so disappointed. He says, get him out of my presence. Send him back to Pontius Pilate. Get this, get this guy out of here. That's the way, he, because he wouldn't give him the miraculous. He wouldn't have believed even if he did the miraculous. It's what Jesus said to the, you know, when he gave that, um, about the rich man and Lazarus, he said, the one come back from the dead is still not believed. They have the law of Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Not only do we have, you got to have this discernment. I mean, we really got to understand uh, the scriptures. We got, we got to embrace it. We got to judge things through righteous judgment. We're not to be judgmental and say, wow, look at your hair. You know, they, they don't know the heart of that person. 
But he says when it comes to the false teachers, you should, you should know them by their fruits. Can a dead tree produce good fruits? He said these guys are teaching false doctrine. Don't, don't give it. Beware of the leaven of, of the Herodians. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. Beware of the leaven. Why? He's warning them. He says, look at their, their fruit. They don't believe in a the resurrection. They don't believe that Jesus is Messiah. They don't believe any of these things. You've got to have this discernment. So don't be judgmental as in to tear down, but to show love. But also, don't, don't let down your guards and say, oh, we've got to love everybody. Anybody, we're not going to have membership anymore. Anybody just come in. Everybody can vote on everything, and we're just going to lower our standards, and whatever happens, happens. We'll support whatever missionaries. We'll do whatever we want. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. What you have is something very valuable. Uh, as a pastor, you're to guard the gates of membership. You really want to make sure that those who want to be members are born again. They've been baptized, and um, they, they are added to the local church very appropriately. Do they stand by the doctrines of the church, and they're here to support the church? They want to serve. They want to tithe. They want to, they want to give their energy. They, they, they want to really see the church thrive and grow. They want to be a part of that body of Christ. But here, let me put this in, and this is just, I can't get into all of it. But anyway, not to be callous. Let me very quickly turn over to Luke chapter 11. It would be good to put in your reference over here. When he's talking about this, um, he's talking about this praying, asking, receiving, knocking. Uh, Luke chapter 11. Sometimes us preachers can get long winded, can't we? Verse 5 through 8. This is the appropriate way to understand what Jesus is trying to get across. And he said unto them, Which of you should have a friend and should go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he shall, from within, shall he answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot arise and give thee. And I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of the importunity he will rise and give him as many as he had need. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth, and seeketh, findeth, and knocketh, it shall be opened. And then he goes in, same, what? What Matthew wrote there. You know what he's saying? There comes somebody to you and he says, you ha I have need. Can I stay here? Do you have anything? I need help. I don't have anything. And the guy there, he says, I don't have anything, but i tell you what I do. I'll go to my friend. Jesus is saying, you can go to me. You can come to me. You ask me, you pray to me, I'll provide for you and I'll take care of you and your friend. You, you, you don't need to go out and say, well, you know, it's just worthless. You go, just go knock on somebody else's door. Uh, somebody else will take care of you. You know, he says, but if you have it, if you have it, and if you can, and if it's possible, take care of that person. Do unto others as you had done unto you. If you can't go another mile and you can't make it any further and you say uh, you would like a place to stay, you would, you would hope somebody would allow you into their house. Why don't you allow them? Now, I'm not saying, uh, again, you've got to use discernment and discretion because these days some people take it overboard. I'm, I'm very careful. I tell my wife, don't, don't pull over 
for people alongside the road. He said, I'll do it, but not you, because people are crazy these days. You don't know if they're out there to try to rob you or, or what have you. You've got to be very careful. I won't let just anybody into the home because I care about my children and kids, but I do want to take care of them. If I perceive that, that, you know, that it is possible and it's a, a good idea, I will. But you, know, you don't want to open yourself up to attack and being robbed and all these kind of things. And so you've got to be very careful. But observe the golden rule that we find here, to be, uh, even as our, be perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's what he's saying. You have a need. Your brother has a need. Go to God for him. Pray for those who are lost. Pray, pray for those who have need. Pray for those who are sick. Pray for those who, who are going through trouble. And if God provides for you, you pray and God provides for you. Praise the Lord. You can take care of them and yourself. So, I know it's a lot wrapped up into this, but the gist of it is don't be judgmental and tear people down but also use judgment. You know, the, the, the judgmentalism is um, it's, it's not dealing with doctrine. Doctrine always divides. Jesus said, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Doctrine will divide. But when it comes to the area of Christian living, Christian living, that's what I'm saying. Christian living ought to translate into Christian loving. That's the difference that is there. And then the judgment that we have is, again, doctrine divides, but also to show care, to treat others as you would want to be treated. That's why when we have visitors come into the church, I'm glad for those who want to give a visitor card and greet and um, give the gifts we have on the table and to, to encourage them. A lot of people don't know how to read a hymn book, to come alongside of them and sit there with them and say, here's a hymn book, and, and to help them and support them. That is, that's what we ought to do as Christian brothers and sisters. When you see a visitor, let's embrace them and encourage them. And so... I pray that this lesson was a blessing to you this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and mercy. Thank you that you're always showing us new things. And Lord, may we give you glory. I pray that we'll have visitors today, but I pray that you just work in the message and in our hearts as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.